Shalom Mishpacha. Shalom family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word, means family, and we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Uh, My guest, Jennifer LeClaire. She's news editor with Charisma Magazine. Uh, and Jennifer, uh, we, we get lots of books on faith into the office. And as far as I'm concerned, people can't read enough books of good teaching on faith. But we've kind of heard it all. But our staff, as they reviewed your book, they found things stated in a different way that actually removed barriers for them in their faith arena. They didn't understand uh, why their faith wasn't operating, why their prayers weren't being answered. And they found that by following the steps that you outline, they were able to remove doubt and unbelief and move into great faith. But there's a story behind the story. And uh, understand, when you were just three years of age, you actually could see into the Spirit. You were not raised in a Christian home. You knew nothing about the Lord. But you actually saw a spirit of fear. What did you see? I did. I remember it. I'll never forget it. I, I would. It would be at night. Uh, while I was being put to sleep, my mother would leave the room, and before too long, I would see a spirit of fear. Now, of course, at the time, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a monster. I'd cry and yell. My mom would come in with a broom and attempt to chase it away, but of course, you can't chase away spirits with a broom. You've got to use the name of Jesus, and so the spirit of fear hovered there uh, as a child, and uh, it was uh, it made a mark on my life. Okay, uh, so you're, um, you have a Mormon fiancé, uh, and you're planning on getting married, and there's an altercation, and you call 911, uh, and uh, you end up being arrested. Explain that. It, you, you had nothing to do with it. You're the one that called 911. Yeah, talk about irony. I called 911, of course, when the police got there. I didn't want to press charges. That's how women usually are. And the police officer told me to sit down and shut up, or she was going to say that I hit her. And I, I, I guess I was naive at the time. I was in my early 20s, and I said, you can't say that. And sure enough, she picked me up, slammed me down on the car, and began to, to beat up on me. I mean, I walked away bruised, and then she charged me with a battery on a law enforcement officer and then carded me off to jail. And, and uh, uh, then time, time elapses, uh, that, that's over. Uh, but but you do uh, have to report if you're going to change cities or something like that. Uh, you get married to your fiancé, uh, and then he goes away. You have a child, and he goes away for a vacation for a couple of weeks, and he never comes back. So you decide you're going to get yourself a divorce. Uh, and when you're filing for divorce, you find out because you changed cities— uh, there was a warrant for your arrest, which should have been taken care of. It should have been a nothing. There was a paperwork problem, uh, it's, uh, and it sort of fell through the cracks. Uh, and, and so what did you do next? Well, I, I was, you know, 
terrified. I, 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 of course, wasn't saved at this time. My husband just disappeared. I was in danger of losing my child. So I hired an attorney. I paid every penny that I had to, to get it cleared up. And they told me that it would be. They said, this is, a, you know, this is a paperwork issue. This is a technicality. Don't even worry about it. We've got it covered. And so I, I trusted that they would. And I continued on the best I could uh, trying to put my life back together. Uh, but in the middle of the night, uh, they find out you're there uh, and they come in. It's just like something you would watch on TV. And they haul you uh, into jail uh, and you're facing a five-year prison sentence. This is so unreal. You, I mean, you must have been the most frustrated woman in the world. <laughs> Well, it was really bad because a, a maid who was working with me, she was a, 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 the, the girlfriend of a good friend of mine, needed money. Uh, she had helped me out with some stuff. I, we agreed on a price. She came back, wanted more money. I refused to give her more than what I had agreed to. And she uh, had seen the paperwork about the uh, lawyers and decided that she would call the police on me and have me arrested. And so that's what she did. Uh, so you're waiting for the trial. You're you're in jail, and a prison ministry shows up. Uh, some well-known people, and they share their testimonies, um, and and you get saved. How could it happen so easy? <laughs> you know, it was just God ordained, really, because there'd been this warrant that I didn't know about for almost seven years, and really, I could have been picked up, you know, just driving the car, just you know, going to a uh, you know, getting a speeding ticket, anything could have happened, but God had his hand on my life long before I was saved, and he ordained the time, and sure enough, I was there, just happened to be there the very day that this evangelistic ministry was coming through, and I responded to the altar call and gave my heart to God. Then they give you a Bible, and I understand you devoured this Bible. Yeah, I had never seen the light of the gospel, never heard the gospel presented to me. So when they gave me this Bible, I started in the gospel of John, and I just read and read. I would sit there on my little jailhouse bunk, and just for hours, just reading the Word of God. But in addition to that, uh, you're worried about your your daughter. You're worried about losing her. You're worried about going to prison for five years. Uh, you, you all, you've, you've had uh, a problem with... Uh, depression and anxiety. How bad was that? It was bad. You know, I was diagnosed with depression around about the time I was 20, uh, and it just grew worse and worse and worse. And I was on medication for depression, medication for anxiety. You know, the root of it, I don't know, but it was there, and it was persistent. Uh, were you, uh, tell me about the medication you were on. Uh, it was a couple of different kind of prescription drugs, pretty strong stuff, and it was the kind of drugs that if you if you started to stop taking it, you know, suddenly you'd have all sorts of side effects and, and problems. So you really needed to keep uh, taking that. I was also on high blood pressure medicine. I was diagnosed with high blood pressure at the age of 19. So I just had a lot of medical issues going on, a lot of problems going on. And over the course of, you know, from the night time I was 19 till the time my husband left at age 29, it just seemed to get worse and worse. So you're reading these promises about how God can heal and what do you decide to do about your high blood pressure, your anxiety, your depression? You have all this medicine for it. What do you do? Well, the first thing I, I did was I, I decided to believe the Word of God. I mean, it was, it was just, you know, when I got saved, I no longer felt depressed. I no longer felt anxious. I mean, I was concerned about my daughter. Of course, I was, I was worried. I still struggled with fear. But the depression, that heaviness, 
it left me. I had joy where there was once, uh, you know, sorrow. And so I began devouring the word, and they would call you to take your medicine. They'd call you out of the, the, the cell, and they'd ask you to come take your medicine. And they gave me my medicine for depression and anxiety, and I told them, I don't need this anymore. And they said, you have to take it. And I said, I don't need it. And they forced me to take it, and so I did, and my body rejected it. It would not hold the medicine down. And once they saw that, they never called me back to take the medicine again. I was delivered. So what happened to the depression? What happened to the anxiety? You know what? The Word of God brings light into dark places in our soul. And once I put my faith on the Word, I mean, I was reading in the Gospel of John about the healings. Jesus was going around uh, doing all sorts of works, all sorts of healings, all sorts of miracles, and faith arose in my heart. And where faith is, depression can't stay. Okay. You're facing a five-year jail sentence. Uh, you're reading the Word, and wherever you, you read, you see 40, 40, 40, and God speaks to your heart through the Word of God that you're going to be out in 40 days. Uh, but, Jennifer, that's impossible. Didn't you know that? I knew that, you know, Practically speaking, it was impossible. The, the, the judge wouldn't even give me bail, even with an ankle bracelet. Uh, he was going to be on vacation on the 40th day. I couldn't get a trial, couldn't get a hearing. I, I was seemingly stuck, but... I, Did you tell anyone you'd be out in 40 days? I told everyone that would listen to me. <laughs> I called my mother collect. I told everybody in the jail. I told everybody. So the 40th day comes. <laughs> what happens? Well, I was uh, scheduled to have a hearing. Uh, somehow they gave it to another judge, and I was waiting to, to hear, uh, to stand before the judge when my attorney called me uh, on the, the phone that was in the cell and said, Jennifer, this matter has been taken care of. Uh, we don't have to stand before the judge. You will be released. You're going home. Go back to your, your cell and gather your stuff. Your faith had to be so sky high at that moment. It really was. I just danced around and praised God. And, you know, I just basically danced right out of the jail that night, just praising God. And that stuck with me. I mean, you know, David always remembered his past deliverances. He always remembered what God did to him. And I will never forget that. That is true deliverance. Tell me about your book, Faith Magnified, and the three CD set. The subtitle, I love this word. Where'd you get it from? It's how to be free from doubtaholism. Right. I look at uh, at doubt almost like a spiritual disease that really cripples your Christian walk, and it has a lot of parallels to alcoholism. And and so I decided to take on that premise and, and offer a, a a program or or a, a number of steps um, that we could go through um, to overcome this spiritual disease. Now there are many people that are walking around with doubt and unbelief. And they don't even realize that they're actually blind to it, and they're wondering why their prayers aren't being answered. It's true, because doubt is so deceptive. It's very sneaky. And, you know, I, I like to look at it this way. We mentally ascend to the Word. We sit in the church. We hear a good sermon. We say amen. You know, we watch Christian television. We live in a, in a Christian society. And in other words, you know, there's churches on every corner. We, we, we believe it with our brain, but we doubt it in our heart, and so we don't see the promises of God come to pass. When people sit under your teaching or read the book, what changes do they report to you? 
they tell me that it was like a fog lifting. Uh, they got revelation that they never had. You know, a lot of teaching on faith, it's all good, but we're talking about uh, what faith is, but we're not talking about the enemies to our faith. And doubt and unbelief are two enemies to our faith. They come to, to steal, kill, and destroy uh, too many times, and, but we can overcome it. We can, we can identify it, and we can get rid of it, and we can walk in faith that demands results. Uh, okay, are you a type of person that says, I believe God's Word, but it's not working in my life? Do you want to see your prayers answered? I believe when you follow the principles that work in Jennifer's life, they will operate in your life, and there will no longer be any blocks for your great faith. The three-CD set and the book, Faith Magnified, How to Be Free from Doubtaholism, available for a gift of $37. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. We don't hear about the fear of the Lord anymore. Uh, Jennifer LeClaire, uh, Jennifer is a news editor with Charisma. I'm interviewing her on her book, Faith Magnified. Uh, we, you know, in our society, that is not a good thing to talk about, the fear of the Lord. Uh, in fact, most teaching today uh, says, God's my uh, sugar daddy. We don't hear about fear of the Lord. Uh, you are so right, Sid. That is the misconception. Uh, you know, we, we need to have a, a reverential fear of the Lord, and that means that we understand both the love of God and the holiness of God. You know, he does not like sin. He doesn't just, you know, you can't just go out sinning and then hop in, you know, Big Papa's lap and just get a pat on the head and, and think it's okay. It doesn't work that way. We need to have a revelation of the love of God, but we also need to have a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord. Not to be scared of Him, but to fear Him, to honor Him, to reverence Him. You know, fear of God destroys demonic fear. The Holy Spirit put it to me this way. He said, when you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you become so consumed with pleasing him, you become so full of faith in his power and his character and who he is, that there's just literally no more room for the devil's fear tactics. When you have your heart positioned toward God and, and, you, and you fear him and you honor him and you submit yourself to him, there, there's just no way for fear to get in. There's nowhere for doubt to get in. There's nowhere for unbelief to get in. It has to go. And this is a principle uh, that has played out in my life time and time again, is really deciding to, 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 to honor God and His Word, to put His Word first. That, you know, if He said it, He believes it, because it's, it's almost like a slap in His face when we doubt or when we don't believe. It's, 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 it's doubting His character. It's doubting His Word. He is who He says He is, and He's not a man that He should lie. And so we need to give Him the honor uh, that He deserves. And when we do that... Fear has to go. It cannot stay in a heart full of faith. Jennifer, how does this play out in your life? Uh, let's take you, uh, the great miracle happens. You get out of jail in 40 days. You should have uh, gotten five years. Uh, uh, but uh, now you're back with your daughter. You were making $3,000 a week, uh, but you, you lost your job. Uh, and you're now on food stamps. Your faith sky high, but now you're on food stamps. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, talk about a roller coaster. You know, I get out of jail vindicated, you know, uh, ready to, to run, uh, get out of jail, understand all of a sudden the Internet bubble burst. I was working for an Internet uh, company, and everybody lost their job. It wasn't just me. So I go from making $3,000 a week and having all my needs met to making zero and thinking, what am I going to do now? And I had to uh, make a choice. Uh, even though I was on food stamps, even though I, you know, there's there's natural wisdom. If you're going to starve, you need to get some help. And so my neighbors talked me into going down and getting food stamps. I had to swallow my pride, but I had to then turn to the word and I had to say, you know what, God, your word says that you'll provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And I and and even though fear was coming against my mind, I mean, I I, I was in a small town. I had moved out of state away from everyone I knew. I had no family. I had a couple of neighbors and I had a baby and I had no money. Fear was definitely coming against my mind. Doubt, unbelief was coming against my mind. But the way that I overcame that was just by continuing to keep my eye on who Jesus is, understanding that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, staying in the word, confessing the word, you know, staying in church. I mean, just soaking myself in the word. I listened to every message on prosperity I could find. I listened to every message, you know, on, you know, rebuilding your life, building your faith, and just soaking myself in the word. Okay, so the roller coaster's on. Uh, now it's going down. <laughs> uh, what happened? Well, I still believed God, and I knew that if he could deliver me from depression, and if he could deliver me from anxiety, and if he could deliver me from jail, if he could do all that, I knew he could do this, but I didn't know what was going on because I was I was in the Word, I was studying the Word, I was going to church, but people were, you know, little money I had, I'd let people borrow it, they would steal it from me, and one day I was down on my knees and I was praying, and I said, God what is going on here? I said, why are all these people robbing from me? This is not fair. And I heard his voice speak to my heart and say, well, you're robbing from me. And I didn't know anything about tithing. I didn't know anything about, you know, giving the first offer part. I didn't know. I hadn't been taught that yet as a baby Christian. And so I, I looked in the Word, and sure enough, I found in Malachi, you know, will a man rob God? And I was stunned. I said, wow. And I began to tithe. And when I began to tithe and give offerings to the Lord, that is when God began to prosper me and bring me back uh, even further than where I had come from. You know, what the devil meant for evil, God's using for good because you're learning how to operate in the Word of God rather than your experiences. That's right. Step by step, God would teach me through trials. God would teach me through victories. He would show me in His Word, you know, here's the principle behind it. That's why this happened. This is why that happened. You know, here's how you overcome this. He would show me step by step in His Word, and, and I took note of it. And, and now I'm blessed to be able to teach other people. Well, when you teach, uh, you, it's kind of a play on 12-step programs, but it's not the 12-step program. When you teach the 12 steps to get rid of uh, doubt and unbelief, um, what kind of results do people get? People tell me that their faith grows, that they, they understand what was standing in their way. You know, people talk a lot about, well, I'm not getting prayer answers, I'm not seeing prayer answers. It just seems like I lift up my prayer and they're hitting the ceiling and, and falling back down. You know, does God even hear me? Uh, you know, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him. But with faith, with faith in God, all things are possible. The Bible says all things are possible to Him who believes. Jesus says only believe. And so people tell me that once they get to the root 
of what's blocking their faith, this doubt, this unbelief, this fear, once they see it for what it is, they can command it to go in the name of Jesus. Now, your faith is really amazing because it seems as though your faith operates to being vindicated from bad situations. Uh, for instance, uh, when you got out of jail in 40 days rather than spending five years in prison, they actually deleted your all of your records? How did that happen? Yeah, I don't know, but there's, there's no... Uh, there's it's just as if it never happened. I like to say that it's just like when I got saved and Jesus washed away all my sin. You know, when I got when God vindicated me, He washed away all the records. It's as if it never happened. Jennifer, God has been teaching you that you can have breakthroughs if you're obedient and you put an action to what God shows you. Uh, give me some examples. That's right, because. Faith without works is dead, right? I mean, the Bible says faith without works is dead, being alone. But many times, obedience, trying to move in obedience, it brings fear. It requires faith to follow God. Um, There was a time where I was uh, involved in in working uh, with a publishing organization and, and, and doing all great ministry projects. It was really great. But the Lord told me one day to go. He said, go. And, you know, I didn't want to go. He'd been trying to get me to go, honestly, Sid, for for two years. Uh, But he finally made it extremely apparent, you need to go and you need to go now. And and I did. I followed him. I gave up everything. I was no longer involved or connected. I I, I walked away from from all of those natural connections uh, in publishing. And within nine months, this just continues to, to, to marvel me, within nine months, the period of time that it takes to birth, God supernaturally positioned me as the news editor for Charisma magazine. And then within another year after that, I had back-to-back book deals with a major Christian publisher. And that is all because I was willing to leave everything behind that I had known, like Paul said, you know, leaving the past behind and pressing forward. But it requires faith to obey. And we can build our faith to obey by reading the heroes of faith, by meditating on God's promises. If he said it, he'll do it. Uh, speaking of if he said it, he'll do it, uh, you, you've you had high blood pressure since you were 19 years of age, uh, taking all sorts of medication. Tell me about what happened. Yeah, I was diagnosed at age 19. I was young and healthy. It didn't make any sense. Uh, and I began taking medication. Uh, it never really controlled the problem, though. It just sort of reined it in. My blood pressure was never normal. And I felt sort of like the woman with the issue of blood because no matter what I did, the problem just grew worse. I was spending money on doctors, and I was, I was just a kid. By the time I was about 34, 35, uh, all these years, I had this high blood pressure, uh, I ran out of my medication, and, and, and instead of getting it filled, as I looked down at the bottle, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and said, you don't need that anymore. You're healed. And I wouldn't recommend doing that. I wouldn't recommend to people listening that they just stop taking their medication. But the Holy Spirit said it to me, and I knew it was him, and I believed it. And so I decided to stand on that word, that prophetic word, that prophetic promise, and the promises in the Bible for healing. And at first, I mean, it got so much worse. My head was pounding. My heart was pumping. I really wasn't sure if I was going to fall. I mean, the fear said that was coming against my mind, the doubt, the unbelief. It, it was a battle in the mind. It really was. My response 
was to continue confessing the word, what the Holy Spirit said. I don't need this anymore. I am healed. And it took about five days, and it seemed like a long five days. I'll be honest with you. I'll be real. It seemed like a long five days. It really was fighting the good fight. But within five days, my blood pressure came back down, normalized, and it has been normal ever since. I have uh, taken every once in a while just to, as a health you know, checkups. My blood pressure is completely normal. Uh, what about all that medicine you were taking? I don't take any of it. I don't take any. I take vitamins, and that's about it. Jennifer LeClaire is red hot for the Messiah. Uh, she's not only successful in ministry. Uh, she is uh, editor of news at Charisma Magazine. Uh, but she has a best-selling secular book. Uh, tell me about that book, Jennifer. I've written uh, uh, six books, uh, the Four Dummies books, you know, the, the books with the yellow and black covers. Uh, that's where I, I got my start uh, in, uh, in, in book publishing, uh, was producing these secular books on everything from uh, technology to real estate. And, and, and it's funny how God used me in Egypt, or such as trained me in Egypt, and then brought me over into uh, the world of ministry to do the same sorts of things. And, and all along, um, it was a matter of believing in myself. And, and, and that's what I was going to say. There are many people that are listening to us right now, and they have a lot of doubt about can they ever get it? They were like in a trap there. Uh, but you were in that trap, if you will. I mean, you, you, had, you, you had lost your job. You had no money. Uh, you had a, a, ch- a child. Uh, you had no child support. Uh, I mean, I can just picture you pulling your hair out at that time. How did you get from where you were to where you are? Talk to some of these people with this self-doubt. Yeah, it's such a big, big problem with believers and unbelievers alike, this self-doubt, because it it paralyzes you. I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to pursue your dreams. You know, I I never graduated college. I mean, you mentioned I'm I'm a single mother, but but I've never doubted myself. I've never looked at myself the way the world might look at me. I've looked at myself the way God looks at me. And that's really the key is having faith in who God says you are in Christ. We've got to be able to battle our insecurities. And listen, we all have insecurities. We all have little things about ourselves that we wish were different. But we have to to look past that and look at again at what God's Word says about us. And, you know, I, for example, I published six books, Christian books, on my own because I believed in the gift of God working in me. And everyone listening, God has put a gift in you, a unique and a special gift in you. And what he wants you to do is put a demand on that gift in you, the gift he gave you, and it will produce fruit in your life. You just have to believe in yourself. And moreover, you have to believe in him. So I published these these six books uh, on my own, no backing. Uh, it took me several years. I wrote them all and, and published them. And it turns out, uh, as we talked about in the last broadcast, I ended up getting two back-to-back book deals with a major Christian publisher. But all along the way, I had plenty of people telling me, oh, why are you writing these books? You know, what's the point? You don't ha- you know, you're, you're going to have a limited audience. But I didn't doubt myself, despite the naysayers around me. I didn't doubt myself. Doubt is a dream killer, and we've got to root that out if we're ever going to walk in the fullness of God's plan for our lives. Okay, Jennifer, 
once you get rid of this self-doubt, uh, what do you do from there? Well, then you can really go after your dreams. Then your faith will really work for you at a much higher level because that self-doubt really hinders you. But when you get rid of that, you begin to move in faith in who you are in Christ. When you begin to understand and, and, and get the revelation, really, by meditating on God's Word, that all of His promises are yes and amen, that He has a good plan for your life, you begin to pray with more confidence, yeah, because only faith can break this cycle of unanswered prayers. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, the Lord gave me a revelation on asking, uh, seeking, and knocking, and this whole idea of persistent prayer. You know, sometimes we ask, and we just ask once, and we think, well, that's enough. But it, sometimes it is enough, but it's not always enough. And the Lord showed me that after we ask, then we need to seek. When we ask Him for something, we know that if it's His will, He's going to hear us. And we know that if He hears us, then He's going to give us that which we've asked for. And so once we've asked Him for it, in faith, nothing wavering, we should begin to seek it. We should begin to look for that prayer answer. We should begin to look for that open door. But then, so we've asked and we seeked, and now we have to knock. Once we find that open door and we can see it, and we say, we know this is God. You know, you've been praying for a job. You know, you've been seeking a job, and now you've got a job offer. Once you're convinced that that's God, you need to knock on the door. Because the Bible says in Revelation 3 and 8 that God opens doors that no one can shut. And so it's this this attitude of persistent faith, of, of, of not just being passive, because again, we talked about before, faith without works is dead. So once we ask, we need to take action, we need to begin to seek. And once we find what we think is God, we need to begin to knock. And we can be assured that God, at the appointed time, will open the door. And that holds true whether you're looking for a job, whether you're looking for reconciliation in a relationship, whether you're looking for healing for your body. Whatever promise of God you're standing on, if you'll take Take an active faith, a persistent faith, and go after that thing, nothing wavering, no doubt, no fear, just pure faith, you will see the promise of God manifest in your life. All right, give me an example, like uh, when you were believing God for a condo. You know, Sid, I believe in, in the power of confession. I also believe in, in taking action according to the wisdom of God. And I had for years, uh, since 2005, uh, in t about 2005, I began confessing this. I have an oceanfront condo, and it is paid for. And, you know, I, it was a desire of my heart. Uh, you know, I have also a, a long list of confessions, confessions that are based on the Word, but this was a desire of my heart. I wanted to live in an oceanfront condo, and, but the prices were just exorbitant. I mean, this was at the height of the real estate market. It was three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars dollars $500,000. I couldn't see how it would happen, but I just kept confessing, I live in an oceanfront condo, and it is paid for. And so this is where you also rely on the wisdom of God. We don't want to get ahead of God and just you know, because we've been confessing something, you know, just sort of go for it out of his uh, jurisdiction. I, I waited, and I waited, and I confessed, and I prayed, and I saved my money. And eventually, 2010 rolls around. It's the bottom of the real estate market. I hook up with a real estate agent, and I said, let me just see what's out there. And I, I had saved my money. I began looking at properties, and the Lord showed me, here you go. Here's your oceanfront condo. And it's 
paid for. I paid cash for it uh, at the bottom of the market. And that's where the wisdom of God comes in. You know, you have your confession, you get your rhema word, this is a now thing, and the wisdom of God comes in, and you do it God's way. And now I am completely debt-free. I live in an oceanfront condo. I'm I'm looking out at the ocean right now, and the boat's in the water. And I'm just amazed at, at God. And if you put his principles to work, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, God's will over your life, it will come to pass. Now, Jennifer, you had a chronic ankle problem, uh, but you're believing God. Tell me what you did and what happened. Yeah, I had rolled my ankle pretty severely, sprained it uh, pretty severely, and, and it took a long time to heal. It took about a year to heal. Very frustrating experience having seen uh, so many breakthroughs and a lot of fast breakthroughs in my life. I had to really exercise my faith muscle and continue to believe God, despite the fact that this was a, a slow a healing. Uh, but what was worse was that every summer I would go out on the mission field in Central America, and it seemed like every summer I would sustain some sort of injury, and oftentimes it was around my ankle. It was this, this sort of old enemy that would continue to, to harass me. And at a very inconvenient time where I'm you know, out on the mission field, it's very hot, I'm having to walk long distances. And I remember uh, one time in particular when the Holy Spirit said, and this goes back to obedience, we were talking about it in another program, but we, we, we need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. He told me, you know, don't go down those steps. And I didn't know why. All I knew was everyone else was coming up and down the steps, unloading their baggage from the cars, and I didn't listen. And it's so dangerous not to listen to the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to seem like I wasn't a team player, that I was too good to, to come and move the bags. So I went down the, the steps and just stepped on something and slightly, just slightly turned my ankle. And I was to where, you know, I had my foot up. It was wrapped. I couldn't walk. And I was, I was so frustrated. But the Holy Spirit is so gracious. And he, he already saw this coming before I did it. He said to me, he said, you know what, how would you act if you were healed? And again, faith without works is dead. You know, how would you behave? How would you talk? How would you act? And I thought to myself, well, I would be happy. I would get up and I would walk around and I would, I would not complain and I would have nothing to complain about. And so that's what I did. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go about my business. I'm going to go about my ministry. I'm not going to let the enemy stop me. The word says I'm healed. I repented uh, to the Holy Spirit. I repented to God for walking down those steps after he told me not to. I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to heal me. And then I acted like I was healed. I, I walked right along. I went through the rest of the trip, no pain, completely free, and I've never had a problem with that ankle since then, and that was many years ago. Okay. Out of curiosity, when you first determined, I'm going to just act as if I'm healed, did your ankle hurt you? It did. (laughs) It did. It continued uh, to bother me, I guess, for about a day, and the pain gradually went away. It wasn't instant. So many things with God, you know, we want them to be instant. It's not always instant, but if you'll be persistent, you will see the breakthrough. What other principle did you learn from that? You know, it, 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 beyond persistence, it, I learned that the battle, or was reinforced to me, that the battle really is uh, in your mind. We have to guard our hearts, because what happens is well-meaning believers, well-meaning Christians, they saw that I rolled my ankle. They knew that I had issues with my ankle. Of course, everyone runs around me and, and you know, oh, I'm so sorry, and, 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 and asking you, well, how's your ankle? Well, I don't want you to ask me how it is because, really, I don't want to 
you know, be disingenuous. My ankle was hurting, and I didn't want to confess that. And so you have to be careful, you know, what you even say, who you tell, uh, you know, what you confess. You, you don't want to be uh, less than truthful. If you're sick, you're sick. But you don't want that to be your confession. And I sort of, I learned how to balance that by saying, well, you know, it's still hurting, but praise God, I believe I'm healed, and that pain is leaving now in Jesus' name. And just continue to declare God's Word despite the circumstances that are manifesting. What about you? Do you have a cycle of unanswered prayer? Is there something like a disconnect going on? Well, most people don't understand how to fight those enemies that are blocking your faith. And the enemies are doubt and unbelief. That's why Jennifer wrote her book, Faith Magnified, How to Be Free from Doubtaholism. Do you want to see your prayer start working? The three-CD set and the book available for a gift of $37. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. Jennifer, we read in the Bible... All you need is a mustard seed of faith. That's the littlest, tiniest seed there is, uh, and you can move mountains. But the truth of the matter is there's a disconnect. Most Christians don't have their prayers answered. Why? Well, because there's a misconception that all you need is a little faith. And, yeah, all you need is a little, but it's got to be pure faith. You know, the Bible talks about two types of faith, great faith and little faith. And just some quick examples, you know, we see Abraham had great faith, uh, David had great faith, Joshua, Caleb had great faith. In the New Testament, we find the centurion uh, had great faith, the woman whose daughter was possessed by a devil. Jesus talks about them having great faith. But what I find really interesting is that his own disciples— on more than one occasion, he rebuked them or he called them out, corrected them for having little faith. And, 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 and the bottom line is they had the living word with them, and yet they had little faith. You know, we have the word of God. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have uh, the stories of the heroes of faith, and too often we have little faith. And that's because we have allowed doubt and unbelief to creep in and contaminate our faith. We've allowed fear to contaminate our faith. And our job as believers is to believe. And we need to cultivate a pure faith. We need to cultivate mustard seed faith, but it needs to be pure faith. And we can do that by meditating on the Word of God. I mean, there's, a, there's many different ways to do that, but it can be done. We don't need a mountain-moving faith to move mountains. We just need pure faith. In other words, we don't need uh, faith the size of a mountain to move a mountain. We just need pure faith. Now, you use the word that a lot of people hear, but they don't understand. How do you personally meditate on the Word of God? That is a really good question, because the New Age movement has tried to take on those same terminology, and, and a lot of people in the body of Christ, they sort of think meditation is taboo. But it's not. Uh, the Bible uses it. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, we see that God said you know, to Joshua, meditate on this word day and night, and then you will find good success. You'll make your way prosperous. And if you look at that word meditate, 
in in the Bible, you're going to see that it means to to chew on, to to roll it over in your mind, to confess it, to mutter it. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be uh, speaking the word out of our mouth. One, one way I like to do things is I'll take a scripture and I'll take just a bite of it at a time. So if the scripture is, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'll go through that scripture a number of times and begin to emphasize one word each time. So I'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then I'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by emphasizing each of those words, it just resonates in my spirit. It just feeds my spirit. It just builds up my spirit. And I pretty soon I've memorized that scripture. I begin confessing it. When something comes up against me, when doubt comes up against me, unbelief, when fear begins to speak to my heart, to speak to my mind, it just automatically comes up out of my spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or whatever the word is that's applicable to the situation because the Holy Spirit really does put us in remembrance of the word. He really does instruct our hearts, but we have to put the word in our heart if we want the word to come out of our heart when the pressure comes on. And and most people have the word in their mind, and we talked earlier about this, mental assent. They absolutely agree with the word of God, but it's not in their spirit. And I know that by meditating on the word, especially the, the way you teach it, it will get in their spirit because if it's just in their mind, no wonder it doesn't work. Yeah, you can't just read it. You know, uh, you've got to have the word in front of your eyes, in your ears, and in your mouth. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think, personally, in my life, I have seen that there's nothing more powerful than when I hear myself speaking the word of God. Well, let me just say this. Uh, Doctors have stated that if you tell a lie long enough, you won't even remember it's a lie. You will, you will think it's the truth. That's the way we're built. So how much more if you tell the truth long enough to yourself? That's right. That's why it's so important what we say about ourselves. And we talked about self-doubt earlier. You know, we've got to be saying what God says about us. And I really think that's the first step, is getting rooted and grounded in who you are in Christ and then speaking from that place. Because when you know who you are and you know what belongs to you, faith is just, you know, it it just comes. Now, just out of curiosity, uh, you're a single mom. Uh, Did you teach these principles to your daughter, and how did it play out in her life? I do. Uh, I have taught them to my daughter. Um, She she goes to a church that also teaches uh, these same principles, and it has uh, worked out in her life. She was a uh, she's very talented musician. Uh, Last year, she was uh, second chair. Uh, in the band, and she really had her heart to to become the best and to become you know the the first chair and and, and that 's really unheard of because she 's one of the younger kids in the group. Uh, but it turns out that she, as she believed the Lord and as she practiced, now it's not all about confession. We've got to do our part, you know. We've got to take action. And she practiced, and, and she she confessed, and, and she stuck with it and believed God. And now she's going to be first chair. And, and that's just, you know, it's a small story of a, of a teenager's faith. 
but she has seen uh, other times where God has... Uh, well, well, no, let, me, let me just ask you this. Mm-hmm. How about in the health arena? These young kids get sick all the time. What's going on with your daughter? Oh, no. She she doesn't ever get sick. She walks in divine health. She had her, her shots when, when she was five years old, and she's been only to the doctor one other time since then. Uh, and I, honestly, uh, you know... It, we don't, we know, we go, uh, we take our vitamins and then we confess the word. And I, I think we can do natural things and we can do spiritual things. And the combination of that, that sort of wisdom, you know, it, it can produce miracles in your life. Now, in your book that we're making available, Faith Magnified, or How to Be Free from Doubtaholism, uh, tell me about that word, doubtaholism. Yeah, I believe that doubt is like a spiritual disease. It's comparable to alcoholism, and that's sort of, it's sort of a play on words from from that perspective, but it's debilitating. I mean, just like uh, alcohol debilitates you, it causes confusion and depression and fear and anxiety and and all these horrible things, so does doubtaholism. It produces instability in your life, double-mindedness, backtracking, and inability to receive the wisdom of God. And, And these are all, you know, the opposite of faith. I mean, God has given us a measure of faith. He has not given us doubt. He has not given us fear. He has not given us unbelief. Well, what you teach in your book is how to break the cycle of unanswered prayer. And if that's you, I would love for you to teach a little bit on the 12 steps so that people can get rid of doubt and unbelief and be able to have uh, this great faith. Yeah, it all starts with admitting that you have a problem. I mean, really, the first step to getting doubt out of your life is to see it for what it really is. And honestly, no condemnation intended here, but but it's a sin to doubt the Word of God. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it also says uh, that with faith, all things are possible. And so we have to see that when we're doubting God's Word, Uh, we're in the wrong. God is never in the wrong. When when our prayers are not answered, it's not God's problem. It's oftentimes we have a problem. Oftentimes it's a lack of faith or a lack of the pure faith that we were talking about in our life. So that's really the first step is really recognizing it. And that's the problem is so many times we don't recognize that really it's doubt. There's doubt in our hearts. And of course, we don't want to admit it because, you know, after all, you know, who wants to admit that they don't believe God's word, especially in the Christian world? You know, we, we want to, you know, look good with our friends, but we need to humble ourselves and we need to say, you know what, I'm having a real struggle here with this doubt. I can see it. I've identified it. I hear these thoughts in my head and I want to get rid of it. And that's the first step. So once you've admitted your problem, you need to confess the fault. You know, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another so that you might be healed. And we also need to confess it to God. And we need to confess it to our peers if we're having a struggle. If we really need help, we need to get reinforcement. But we also need to confess it to God and admit, God, you know what? I haven't believed, I haven't believed your word. I've doubted you in this area, and I'm sorry. And we need to confess that to God. And the Bible says when we confess our faults, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that's really the key. We've got to be up front. Look, God knows if there's doubt in your heart. He knows. And so it's not a secret to him. 
but we have to confess it. It's a spiritual principle of confessing our sins, confessing our faults, that we might be healed, that we might be delivered. That's where true healing and deliverance begins from this thing called doubt and unbelief. Uh, when someone sits under your teaching and and goes through these 12 steps uh, and they get rid of doubt and unbelief, what happens to their prayer life? Well, they begin to see prayer answers. It's almost like unclogging a clogged drain. I mean, it just, it lets the faith flow freely. They begin to get confidence. I mean, it begins with little prayers. And as they build their faith and they see prayer answers in small areas, they begin to pray for even greater things, and they begin to build greater faith. And that's really what it's all about in God's kingdom, faith. In 2007, uh, you received some prophetic words about America. What were they? That's right, Sid. I woke up, the Lord woke me up at midnight, and and he offered me a word about a great awakening coming to the nation. He said that he'd heard our cries to heal the land, and he said he was a covenant God, and and he would not uh, forget the covenant that he made with America. But he also said there would be a shaking. Uh, There would be a a shaking that everything that... uh, that, one of those things that could be shaken would be shaken, and the sin in the land would, would be made bare. Uh, he said that he requires repentance uh, through this generation uh, for the abortions, for the prayerlessness, for the apathy, the idolatry. Um, you know, he, he made it very clear to me that, yes, there's a great awakening coming, but that it would get darker, that it would get darker before the light shines brightly again. Now, that was back in 2007, uh, long before uh, so many of the problems, the fiscal cliff, the, the, the Great Recession, you know, all of the, the many things that have happened since then. It has definitely uh, grown darker, but I have faith to believe uh, God's Word, uh, that it will grow lighter again, uh, that there will be a great revival. Uh, I'm not the only one that's prophesied it. Others have also received a similar uh, words from the Lord about this. But, but Jennifer, here's the thing that concerns me. Uh, I, I don't think you have to be a prophet to see that uh, what's going on economically with America, morally with America. Uh, it's, I, I've never seen a time, I've never lived in a time, I'm, I'm 72 years of age, and I have never lived in a time where things are deteriorating as rapidly as it's going on right before our very eyes. And if now people can't operate in basic Bible faith, because God's Word says without faith you can't please Him, uh, even though we're going to end up in heaven, we're going to be in as bad shape as the world. Um, it's simple for us to operate in unbelief and doubt, but it's also simple to operate in faith. Can you help these people that need to get their batteries started again, so to speak? They're stuck. Yeah, definitely. Christians in this hour especially, and even more so in the days ahead, we've got to operate in faith, we've got to operate as supernatural people. We've got to operate as citizens in heaven who are here to enforce the Word of God. We've got to do it. And, and the way to do that is, first of all, understanding the times and the seasons that we're in. You know, the Bible says that in the last days that men's hearts will fail, will fail because of fear. And so we've, we've got to be really keen on staying in the Word. You know, the Bible talks about in First Timothy uh, four and, and one through three uh, that some will depart from the faith in the latter days, and they're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They're going to speak lies and hypocrisy. Their consciences are going to be seared with a hot iron. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The days ahead 
we're going to need to be people of faith, unshakable faith, unmovable faith more than ever. And that means that we've got, first of all, to stay in the Word. We've got to be so careful also who we listen teach the Word of God. There's this hyper-grace message that's going through the body of Christ right now. It so grieves me. But, you know, when people say that, say, well, how can you be hyper-grace? I want as much grace as I can have. What's wrong with the hyper-grace message? Well, I want as much grace as I can have, too, but the hyper-grace message strips Christians of their responsibility to walk in the truth of the Word. It, it, it negates the fear of the Lord. It positions God as a big uh, sugar daddy in the sky who's there to hand out blessings, but not correct. But the Bible says that He loves those whom He corrects. He corrects us. He deals with us. He chastises us because we love Him. And I would be very concerned if I wasn't being corrected or the Holy Spirit wasn't gently guiding me in in ways that I should go, because every day we, we make mistakes in word, thought, or deed, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit's conviction working in your life, I would be very concerned. We've got to seek the truth, and no matter what the truth is, and, and I'm, I'm very disturbed about what's sweeping through this deception that's sweeping through the body of Christ. We have got to keep our faith squarely on what the Word of God says, and that means we have to know what the Word of God says. We cannot go from church to church, from conference to conference, seeking something to satisfy our, 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 our tickling ear, our itching ears. We've, we've got to stay rooted and grounded in the unadulterated Word of God. Well, if, if we say anything right now, we say that it's time for a jump start. Uh, and your book, which is Faith Magnified, I don't know if a better jump start. Uh, I talked to the reviewer. That's what he said to me. And the subtitle I love, How to Be Free from Doubtaholism. Uh, talk a little bit, uh, because you're a woman of faith. You're a woman that operates in the invisible world. Teach a little bit about the difference between great faith and little faith. Yeah, great faith is pure faith. Great faith is faith that takes God's word for face value. See, when I read the Bible, I don't try to just read what I believe. I try to believe what I read. I do believe what I read. I take God's word. You know, that was so, so simple and so profound. I want you to say it again, because I think someone might have missed it. Yeah, I, when you read the Bible, you've got to believe what you read, not just read what you believe. The problem is, is that we hear so many different perspectives and so many teachers, and, and, and it's all good. I love to listen to a variety. But what you'll find in the body of Christ is there's many different flows, and it's all good as long as it's coming from Jesus. But we all have our own perspectives, and we can be taught a certain way. We can grow up in the church under a certain uh, uh, flow or a denomination, and we can understand and perceive and receive the Word in a certain way, when the Word actually doesn't quite say that at all. That's just the perspective we've taken on it. And so we have to believe what we read, not just read what we already believe, what we've already been taught. And if we can't peel through the Word, we can't dig down deeper for ourselves, we'll never build that great faith. It's not enough to listen to a Bible teacher. I encourage you, listen to the Bible teacher's they're great. I listen to Bible teachers all the time. I soak myself in the Word from whatever direction I can get. But nothing, nothing replaces studying the Word for yourself. And I say not. I say studying because it's not just good enough to read the Word. You've got to study it. Now, how did, just give us a couple tips. How do you study the Word? 
Well, I honestly, I've got a concordance. I've got a Vine's dictionary. Uh, I read something, and I stick on one theme for a while. You know, when God highlights something to me in the Word, I, I don't sort of read that, gloss over it, and, and jump somewhere else. I stick on that theme. So if God's showing me something about forgiveness, I might get my concordance out and, and read everything there is about forgiveness, because if He's showing me that, See, studying the Bible is interacting with God. I talk to God while I read the Word. You know, when God, when God shows me a scripture, I say, well, what do you want me to see about that? You know, what am I supposed to take away from that? What were you thinking, God, when, when you said that? You know, and I, and I talk, and I, and I talk with God, I converse with God, and, and it's an interactive study with His Spirit and, and with the Word. And, and really, that, to me, that's the only way. That's what makes the Word come alive, and that's what's going to help build that great faith. It's not just reading black and white and red words on paper. It's about engaging with the Spirit of God. When you... Uh look back on where God's brought you from. Is it almost, I mean, you're a best-selling author now. You're a, a news editor with one of the leading Christian magazines in the country. Um, and what do you think? What would it have been like if you haven't found the Lord? I, I can't even imagine. I was, I was fading and fading fast. You know, I I continue to marvel at what God has done in my life. But, you know, it's not just me. God is no respecter of persons. I had a dream, you know, and I pursued God, and I pursued the God of the dream, and I, and I took faith, and I put it to action. You can do the same thing. Everyone listening to my voice, God has given you a dream. God has already brought you from a mighty long way. Look back and see the great things he's done in your life. Instead of thinking about where you haven't gone or what you haven't received or what you can't do, look at what God has done. That will build your faith for what he can do and what he wants to do. Well, you know, there's uh, something called the power of the testimony. Uh, and when I share what others, others have received, they receive it. Uh, and that's what's going on in your book, Faith Magnified. As they read your book, rather than operating in unbelief and doubt, and they've having these little foxes operate in their life, they're going to be normal, normal as defined by the Bible. That's right. We should be living like in the days of the book of Acts. That's normal. That's, uh, we call it supernatural, but it's really normal. And we can build that kind of faith. We really can. It's possible. It's just a matter of being disciplined, going after God with all your heart, and just believing him, just taking him at his word. He's the one that makes the word come to pass. He's the one that does it. Okay. Consider yourself challenged. If God's answering your prayers, don't get the book. Don't get the three CDs. But let me tell you something. If there's a disconnect and you want to figure out what is the reason, she has identified the reasons. Jennifer LeClaire's book, Faith Magnified, How to Be Free from Doubtaholism, identifies it and shows you how to be free. For a gift of $37, three teaching CDs, and the book called Faith Magnified. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box, 
39222 Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.